ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Australian courts are suffering from a critical shortage of interpreters. No one knows the true extent of the problem. But lawyers, judges and language industry professionals say it's an issue that's undermining the right to justice for many people in Australia. I'm Christina Kukola, and today, part two of a special law report series exploring how language has become a barrier to justice. We are seeing an increasing number of highly vulnerable members of migrant communities in particular and refugee communities who have matters in the courts with very complex barriers to justice. Federal Court Judge Melissa Perry says many migrant and refugee Australians going through the legal system need the help of an interpreter to understand what's happening in court. What we often see are cases where we haven't been able to obtain the services of a properly certified and qualified interpreter to assist in the proceeding. The situation in the Federal Court and the Federal Circuit Court reflects a problem faced by courts and tribunals around Australia. Hundreds of thousands of Australian residents, a figure now approaching one million, don't speak English well or at all. The growing demand for interpreters and the shortfall in those who are suitably qualified to work in the legal sector is putting severe pressure on Australia's busiest courts. I had one proceeding over a number of years where we required Tamil interpreters, but at the time the government was retaining them for offshore detention interpretation. It was very difficult for the prosecution to obtain them. Melbourne-based barrister Gideon Boas. The unavailability of interpreters is a a significant problem and, and of course, it varies depending on the language and the number of interpreters that are available at any given time. I've certainly seen and been involved in cases where matters have had to be adjourned because of the unavailability of interpreters or an appropriately qualified or acceptable uh, interpreter uh, acceptable to all the parties. Where that happens, of course, that causes all sorts of problems in terms of um, the resources of the court, uh, costs for the parties and the cost to the community, depending on how the particular matter is being financed. It is problematic in particular if you have an accused person who is in custody and a matter, for example, a bail application has to be adjourned because there's an unavailability of an interpreter. Those sorts of implications are far more serious than the simple cost and resource implications. Data from the Federal Circuit and Family Court reveals the pressing demand for interpreters. In the 2021-22 financial year, over 80% of applicants in migration cases alone were unrepresented and didn't have access to a lawyer. Most required an interpreter. Interpreters were needed in more than 70 languages. The President of the Law Council of Australia, Luke Murphy, says interpreters must be available from when people are interviewed by police to when they're called to appear in court. The risks of any failure at any stage of that are firstly that you can have a fundamental breach of the right to a fair trial with adverse consequences of wrongful convictions and there are examples of that uh, having occurred. 
the legal right to an interpreter in court was established in a high court ruling concerning a deaf and mute Aboriginal man who was deemed unfit to stand trial for murder in the 1990s. What are the implications of that ruling for cases and individuals who request an interpreter in court but cannot get one? Well, in terms of the implications for the case, particularly in uh, the criminal sphere, the fundamental doctrine is the case cannot proceed. So that comes back to the issue of delay in the uh, administration of justice because you cannot have a fair trial and the accused does not have the opportunity to meet the case made against them when they cannot comprehend and understand the nature of the evidence that has been brought and have the opportunity to respond. Barrister Gideon Boas points out that the outcome of entire trials can depend on having high-quality interpreting. I think the impact of the shortage of interpreters occurs everywhere, but most particularly in a court proceeding where it's critical that the court understands precisely what is being said by the witness and and the manner in which it's being said. So in any court proceeding, particularly a criminal one, you've got a person speaking a different language, understanding not just the words that they're speaking, but the context in which those words are spoken and come from, and therefore understanding what is meant by the communication of those words is a a complex task for any professional interpreter. The more experienced and better qualified interpreters are obviously better able to communicate effectively what the witness is saying. The, The less experienced and the less qualified they are, the more problematic it is. Where have you seen that as a problem? I've seen it in a number of contexts in a number of proceedings that I've appeared in and also in the context of international proceedings where I've been involved as a legal officer for the court. Recently, I had that experience in the context of a criminal trial and that was a case concerning domestic slavery allegations in respect of an Australian couple who um, had emigrated from Tamil Nadu in India and the allegations against them for which they were ultimately convicted was that they were retaining another person from that area as a slave. An interpreter providing interpretation services for crucial witnesses during the committal proceeding was interpreting in a manner that was uh, identified by my client as being inadequate, uh, incorrect, and in fact it was quite apparent even without speaking the language that he was struggling to understand the process involved of uh, interpreting what was said to him and communicating that to the witness and vice versa and uh, interpolating and paraphrasing. All of that was observable. Uh, The magistrate had concern about it, as did we. And it appeared from that experience that his level of certification and experience was obviously not at the highest level. So what action did you take? What happens in a court situation like that? Well, when a case like that happens, obviously, uh, not speaking the language, you don't really know what's being said or not being said. But where you have a client or another party in the courtroom who does and they bring it to your attention, it's obviously important that you raise that with the judge and deal with it to the best of your ability. Um, The difficulty, of course, is that everybody is at a significant disadvantage because of the lack of expertise in the language being spoken. And how often does that happen? 
I've seen it happen enough to concern me. And of course, because I don't speak the language being interpreted, I don't know how often it's happening and neither I nor anybody else in the courtroom appreciates it. How difficult is it for you representing your clients in court to challenge or to question the accuracy of interpretation in court? It's very difficult to challenge the accuracy of interpretation because if you don't speak the language, you're relying upon what's being told to you by others who might be making a mistake as well. So you might have a client who hears something, um, hears it differently to the interpreter. You have a professional interpreter uh, and you're questioning the professionalism or the accuracy of the interpretation. Uh, How does one do that? The judge doesn't speak the language. Nobody else in the courtroom necessarily speaks the language. All you can do is take a tape of that, adjourn the proceeding, take a tape, have it examined by other expert interpreters and rely upon that in argument before the court as to whether the interpretation was accurate or not. Difficulty with that is, like any area of expertise, um, you might have one interpreter interpret words in one way and another interpret it in another way. And that does happen all the time when you look at translated documents. This happens in courts every day. And so what is the judge to do? It's very difficult to be in a decision-making position where you're told by two different experts, um, that phrase means this in English and something completely different or, or importantly different by another interpreter. That's the only way you can really challenge it. How you resolve it, of course, is, is problematic. So what does interpreter availability mean? Well, in some languages, a friend or relative could be called to interpret in court, or someone with experience interpreting in community settings or other professions, all the way to someone who's certified by the National Accrediting Authority, NATI. And even when NATI-certified interpreters are available, they may not always be experienced enough to interpret in court. There are national guidelines on how they should be used that aren't necessarily being applied. So not long ago, I was approached by a lawyer of an accused person. This accused person was found guilty of a crime and the legal team of the accused person was preparing to appeal that conviction. Dr Kenny Wang from Western Sydney University was commissioned to review the work of an interpreter in a long-running criminal case. Many times the information that were given uh, in Mandarin Chinese were either not interpreted for the court's benefit or the interpreting contained significant and important errors that, in my view, ended up misleading the court The president of the Chinese Interpreters and Translators Association of Australia, Professor Charles Chin, says appealing cases when errors are suspected isn't straightforward. My experience working in Australian legal system, in justice system, is more than 30 years. And I've done interpreting in thousands of cases. And I found that um, often the cases are lost and... The client um, of the lost party are talking with their lawyers and the lawyer said, look, inaccuracy is one issue, but some other issues. So I'm going to appeal based on the language or based on that. So most people said, oh, well, let's probably the other side is more important. Let's appeal. 
Is there a reason to look more closely into this issue in the courts? Is it a significant enough issue in the courts, in your view? I think it's very, very significant because the whole system in Australia, in legal system, everything is carried out in English. And the judge is the final person who is going to decide that word means that in this scenario. In English, when someone said it, the whole court, the judge, the jury, everyone is a judge to that word. Whereas someone who does not speak English and rely on the interpreter being the judge to decide that this is what I'm going to use and no one is going to check him or her whether it's accurate or not. Judge Rolf Driver was the longest-serving judicial officer on the Federal Circuit and Family Court when he retired last year. Presiding over migration cases, he says it wasn't always possible to secure interpreters who are certified at the level recommended for legal work. And if one stuck rigidly to that principle, there would be delays because uh, there aren't enough Nati 3 interpreters to go around. My view was that the ultimate question wasn't the level of qualification that the interpreter had, but their capacity to interpret clearly and properly. And I was aware that in some cases, we had used interpreters who were excellent, who were not NATI certified. But the fact was that um, very good interpreter services were available from some unqualified interpreters. That wasn't the universal experience. Um, we had some bad experiences with interpreters, including NATI accredited interpreters. And on a number of occasions, um, I let it be known that particular individuals would not be required in future. Fellow retired judge Stephen Strickland from the Federal Circuit and Family Court says sometimes no interpreter was available and to avoid an adjournment, he'd sometimes call on family members or friends of people involved in a case to interpret. And he'd even rely on others in the courtroom to alert him of suspected mistakes. It was often helpful to have the party themselves who was being translated be able to speak up and say, well, hold on, that word wasn't translated correctly or there's an issue with that. And that uh, happened relatively frequently. Sometimes the, the counsel for the party might be more familiar with the language that their client is using and so that's another check to see whether the translation is occurring accurately. And I suppose the third default is the, the other party who's in court listening to the translation might pipe up and say, well, hold on, that's, that wasn't translated correctly. And that happened not infrequently as well. So there were those, call them checks and balances, uh, not ideal, but uh, it wasn't just relying on the translator translating correctly. Not all judges strictly use only qualified interpreters in court. How do you respond to that? To use unqualified or translators who aren't particularly trained is always a risk because it can, apart from anything else, inevitably delay the process and extend it out longer than it should be. But more importantly, there is can be sometimes a query about whether the translation is accurate. Sitting as a judge, I mean, I'm familiar in a 
school sense with the number of languages, but there's no way that I could check any translation necessarily in court. And so we can't do that. So our only check is the certification or the qualifications of the particular translator. A family court judge is hearing a child custody case between Mr and Mrs Brown. A test supervised by the NATI Certification Authority in simultaneous interpreting. A friend of the father involved in the child custody claim is providing a statement in English in court. Currently, there are 2,500 interpreters around Australia who are certified at the level recommended for working in the legal system. Tôi rất biết ơn khi có cơ hội được chia sẻ lời khai của tôi. Only five have specialist legal credentials. Data on how interpreters are being used across Australia isn't available. South Australia is one of only two states, the other being Tasmania, that report on interpreter availability to the Productivity Commission. And the data gives a glimpse of the challenges. Last year, in Adelaide alone, Interpreters failed to attend over 20% of hearings for which they were requested in the Hindi and Punjabi languages. 5% of hearings requiring a Mandarin language speaker were unattended. Mark Painting is the CEO of NATI. Unfortunately, I'm not totally surprised to hear those statistics. They are quite alarming. They're uh, an indication of a pretty general national pattern. Joseph Laposta is the CEO of Multicultural New South Wales, a government agency which provides interpreters to the state's criminal courts. We don't have anywhere enough interpreters and translators to tackle the breadth of languages that we have. Data from Multicultural New South Wales shows that last year the agency couldn't fill over a quarter of requests for interpreters from the state's local courts, where demand is the highest, in Greek, Polish and Punjabi, languages that are well established in Australia. When it comes to languages like Tibetan Chinese and Tok Pisin, none of the requests were met. Joseph Laposta. So you've picked Punjabi, you've picked Tibetan. They are systemic of a broader challenge, which is that there's 275 different languages spoken. And in some of those languages, we're lucky to have one or two interpreters. We have an ageing workforce. Every time a, a an ageing Greek interpreter decides to retire or cuts back their workload to be able to get a better quality or balance in their life, we're not seeing the next generation of young person want to come in. And so in some of those languages, we have more interpreters and translators over 80 than we have under 30. It's difficult to attract and retain skilled interpreters in the industry, says Dr Miranda Lai, who lectures in translating and interpreting at RMIT University in Melbourne. We are seeing this perennial catching up, if I could put it that way, that you have shortages. It's either this language or the next language. You are always catching up. I've been in interpreting and translating education for many years, and sometimes I feel frustrated that it's like a revolving door because we work very, very hard trying to foster an environment where people come and then get training and then get into the profession, but then it's not to be in the sense that, yes, indeed, people come and get the training, they get in the industry, and then they get disappointed and then they leave and it's forever that way for many many years 
Professor Charles Chin says pay and working conditions for interpreters in the court system in Victoria, where he's based, have deteriorated in recent decades. Interpreters, translators have not been valued, and that's to be needs to be addressed. The interpreters have not been paid properly, and interpreters now in court system for half day in Victoria are getting paid. Uh, less than two hundred dollars for half day, and uh, for four day we get less than three hundred twenty. Now this is very very low, and that can't attract good talents into the system. For thirty years we have not increased our pay, and working conditions even getting worse. Professor Chin says he and other interpreters are often expected to interpret complex legal cases without being provided information in advance. And that can affect their accuracy in court. We go in and we want to be briefed, because when we go in, it's a case about certain things: about murder case, about a trade dispute, about、um, migration, about government、uh, suing individual, or the other way around. Can be anything. Can be medical. Now, lawyers and.、Um, Relevant parties. They believe that you are an interpreter. You are certified. You are qualified. You are level three. You are level four. You are level five. You are senior. All those qualifications entitle you with you are a walking dictionary. You are an encyclopedia. You know every single word. Not knowing, in fact, we as native speakers in English or native speakers of Chinese, we do not know everything. We have to study, just like lawyers. They have to study the case. So, probably this is the most difficult part、uh, for us to work in, in court. Professor Ludmilla Stern from the University of New South Wales has been speaking to judges and magistrates and observing their work. The judges, when they use plain English and clear explanations, it is not necessarily because an interpreter is present. In fact, they tend to forget about the interpreter, but they rather try to accommodate the jury. So, what are the implications there then for the court process, for the quality potentially of interpretation and the the work of the interpreters, the work that the interpreters do in the court? Well, it has the implication for the accuracy and the completeness of the interpretation, and then you have to ask a question whether the defendant and the witnesses are in the same. Situation as an English-speaking defendant or witness、uh, would be. So, for a defendant、uh, who is not getting a complete interpretation, it has implication for the understanding of the way their proceedings are going. It has implications for being able to participate in their own defence. What did you discover? What have you observed about how aware judges are about the nature of the work that interpreters do in the courts? They do respect the work that the interpreters do. They all want to do the right thing. But so far, what has transpired, and I'm saying this very cautiously because our project is still ongoing,、uh, what、uh, transpires is that they are not necessarily aware. Of the interpreter's requirements, 
And these requirements are outlined in great detail in the recommended national standards for working with interpreters in courts and tribunals. Now, we did notice that the judges and the magistrates are not necessarily familiar with the content of the recommended national standards. A few seem to be familiar with the standards and few in their interviews uh, state that they have been applying them. Nati CEO Mark Painting regrets that the national standards aren't being implemented consistently across Australian court jurisdictions. Very variable. I think uh, some of the more supportive and progressive jurisdictions are onto it. They embrace the standards and have made them much more uh, stronger in certain jurisdictions, but it's not evenly applied and that will continue to be a challenge. The recommended national standards are endorsed by the Council of Chief Justices, but they're not mandatory for the courts to adopt. Dr Miranda Lai. If you look around Australia... This right to language service, it's not legislated. Mostly it's kind of embedded in, say, your human rights. It's sometimes uh, embedded under, say, your state multicultural policies. Therefore, from that starting point, which is not embedded in legislation, I am not sure the avenues that we can go in order to mandate this national standards to be implemented across the board. Judge Melissa Perry, who chaired the expert committee responsible for producing the national standards, doesn't believe they should be mandatory. There are a number of different ways in which the standards can be interpreted. So they can be formally implemented and adopted as they have been in a number of jurisdictions including, for example, throughout the New South Wales Civil Law Courts uh, jurisdiction and by the Federal Court and also the Victorian Civil Administrative Appeals Tribunal. But many of the standards can be implemented without formal adoption. Retired Judge Stephen Strickland believes the shortage of court interpreters is a failure to acknowledge the realities of 21st century Australia. We are a multicultural society. It is about access to justice and everyone is entitled to use a phrase, their day in court, and if they can't give their evidence or they can't understand the English that's being used and is traditionally used in our courts, then why should they be prejudiced? Why should they suffer? And ultimately, a miscarriage of justice. I mean, sure, it's a cost, but uh, in my view, it's a necessary cost given our society is made up today. In the last census in 2021, 865,000 or so Australians said they either spoke no English not well or not at all. Now, if we extrapolate from that uh, figure, it must now be approaching 1 million. That number must be approaching 1 million. How should courts, uh, the legal system, be dealing with that reality? Well, the courts really haven't got an answer to that unless you could properly resource a court to have interpreters available on staff, that would be unrealistic. But if in terms of the legal system, you incorporate their translation services, then clearly there is a need for more interpreters than we have available now and into the future. 
but that's where it's got to occur, as I say, if you include that description of what the legal system represents, i.e. including interpreters in that as being part of the legal system as they are. Because as I said, and I've stressed, it's an access to justice issue. Retired Judge Stephen Strickland there. And that's all we have time for on The Law Report. That was the second of our two-part series on interpreter shortages in the justice system. I'm Christina Kukolja. Thank you to sound engineer Matthew Crawford and to Damien Carrick. We'll be back again with you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.